This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning, everyone. What a wonderful day we have begun, and what a wonderful day to enjoy together and worship uh, with our God. Um, I got to thinking this morning, I actually saw a post, and then I added something to it, but that said, uh, to honor, to best honor our mothers would be to honor God. And I thought about that, and one of the best ways to honor God is to honor your mothers. It's in uh, teachings in the Bible to do that, in our parents. Um, what a blessing we have. Those of us who have had mothers in life, which I think that's all of us, um, it's surely a blessing. And to have a Christian mother rises far above uh, just a mother. Uh, I'm thankful to have one. I'm sure most of you do. Um, if you don't, I'm glad you're here this morning and glad that you have found God so that you can carry on that tradition in your family. I want to talk about um, glorifying God, what it is to glorify God. I want to talk about that this morning because it's been a fascinating study to me as I delved into this. Um, I asked a question kind of on social media some months ago probably three or four months ago. What is the purpose of life? And actually I was preparing thoughts to kind of talk about our purpose in life. And uh, so I asked that question and kind of in a survey type of deal and got several responses back. I'm going to share some of those with you. Uh, Some of the responses I received was to serve my fellow man. Certainly is a, a good thing to do it to feel part of the purpose of our life anyway Uh, somebody responded to do good works to do good deeds to leave a name for myself to leave a reputation that was good or perhaps a heritage for my family to lead others to the Lord can't get much more honorable than that certainly a part of our purpose in life. But the more I kept getting responses, the more I realized that's kind of a hard question to, or hard, a hard question to get a clear single answer to. And it kind of led me to a couple other things. I had a couple that just threw in some scripture. That's safe, right? So they put in uh, Philippians 2.11 that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our purpose in life. Another one said to fear God and keep His commandments. Ecclesiastes 12. And we start analyzing, or I, as I started analyzing, all of these answers to that simple question I thought was simple. I started to figure out it's hard to narrow down the purpose of life in one single statement. Until I got to thinking about glorifying God. And what glorifies Him except our life 
And as I began to look over these items, I began to realize, I think, that all of them apply. But all of them point toward glorifying God. Just like honoring our moms would honor God. All of these things, if we are bringing glory to God, we will do so in all of these ways. So my quest for a topic to speak on kind of shifted a little bit. And I want to look at this because there's some biblical examples, uh, specific examples about our purpose or about our glorifying God that I want to look at. John 9, beginning in verse 1, gives us a really good example. Jesus is passing... Well, let me just read. As He passed by, He saw a man blind from birth. And His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, It was not that this man sinned or his parents. Jesus uh, excuse me, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now I get to thinking about this, this story. Jesus is passing by and he sees this blind man. The text here says that the apostles were asking. I don't know how they could ask this question. I'm struggling with that still. But who sinned that he might be blind from birth? Himself or his parents? Now I might get the parents maybe asking that question. But the child? From birth? He's blind from birth. How did he sin that he might be blind from birth? I, I can't comprehend that. I don't know why they asked that. But his parents, maybe they committed some sin. Gave their child blindness. Well, you know that's not true. And in fact, Jesus said that. It wasn't him, and it wasn't that his parents sinned that caused him to be blind. It wasn't. What did he say? That this moment, God might be glorified. He has lived his life up to this point since he was born for this purpose. That's what Jesus said. Now a lot of people would look at the blind man, right? Probably since birth. Not a lot of use for him, right, in society. He's blind. What can he do to contribute? How can he care for a family? How can he? He's blind. He has this very horrible situation, really, in our eyes. But Jesus said he has spent his life up to this point that God might be glorified. That's what he said. Now let's look. Let's remind ourselves what happened. I'm not going to read the rest of this. But I want to ask, can a blind man display the works of God to the world around him? Well, apparently so. Because that's what he did. And Jesus went on to heal him of his blindness. Other people saw that, right? It wasn't, even from Jesus' perspective, it wasn't even about him. It was so that God's power would be seen 
in the life of this blind man who from birth, again, I remind you, was blind. From birth. And this was the pinnacle of his life. This was the point in which his life had a purpose. That the works of God might be seen. That's an amazing thought to me. That no matter who you are, where you are, where you come from, what problems you have, what type of life you've lived, it doesn't really even matter. Your purpose, like this blind man's purpose, is to display the works of God to those around you. That they might see God in your life. That's a humbling thought. It's a humbling thing to think about. I want to show you another example. You remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus was on his way and he uh, told his disciples there that we need to go and, and see about this. He was sent word that Lazarus was sick. He said, we'll go, but we're not going to go yet. We're going to wait three or four days to go. Listen to this passage. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Let's pause right there. You remember the story? Lazarus died. What is Jesus saying here? Is he lying? Did he say some untruth here? This illness does not lead to death, yet Lazarus died. What he's saying is the purpose of it. What, what, the, what the main reason is that this is happening is not about his death. That's what he's saying. And he goes on. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He's saying something much bigger is going on here. My friend Lazarus died. You remember Jesus showed up and he wept tears. He cried. He was close to Lazarus. I don't know all the reasons why he cried. There could have been a much deeper meaning than just the surface of what we see in his illness and his dying. Maybe what Lazarus was going to experience through that. I don't know. It may be that he was about to raise Lazarus and bring him back to this physical life. Life was going to be hard on him. Some historic accounts um, tells about Lazarus and the um, persecution and abuse that he went through. I, it's not, not necessarily in the Bible, but it's some historical writings that point to that. And perhaps he did. Because he had a story to tell. <laughs> and there were many of people that didn't like that story. But let me tell you what Lazarus' death was about. And not really his death but his resurrection. Jesus raising him from the tomb. It was for the glory of God. So this gets me to thinking a little bit bigger again. Our purpose in life, can we say that our purpose is like these two examples? In life is to simply glorify God through whatever we're going through. The positives, the negatives, 
as we would perceive them? I mean, you got a blind man whose life's purpose was to glorify God. You have Lazarus who dies and his family is heartbroken and torn up about it. You remember the sisters, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. <clears throat> Jesus delays his coming. I believe full well knowing what was going to happen. He shows up, he says, he had, he had said, it wasn't about his death, right? It really is about glorifying God. What about some other examples? I'm not going to read this one, but I just have it up as a reference. But you remember Moses, when God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses didn't really want to do it. At least that's the way it reads pretty plainly to me. And he began to make excuses. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak like I perhaps once could, right? I can't, I can't do that. They're not going to believe me if I go. What do I tell them? And God said, You tell them, I am is with you. I am that I am. You see, it wasn't about Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. It wasn't about Moses. It was so that God would be glorified. Because it was through the power of God using Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. It wasn't about Moses, was it? Moses appears to have had a little tough time with that at the beginning in understanding that the purpose and greater picture of this is that God is glorified in it. Not you, Moses. Not you. Another one. Joseph. You remember after all the time, <laughs> Joseph, when he was a kid, had dreams. And he dreamed that the sun and the moon and the stars were all bowing down before him. And he said to his brethren, don't know about the wisdom of telling your brethren this, but he said to his brothers, he said the interpretation of that dream is that mom and dad and all my siblings, all my family will bow down before me someday. Now it sounds rather arrogant, doesn't it? He was just stating a fact. He knew the interpretation of it. God gave it to him. As a matter of fact, when we get to this passage, the family had come a couple of times at this point and they didn't recognize Joseph. Joseph had been put in charge of handling and distributing food, buying and, and selling food and making a lot of money for the king and that type of thing. That's what Joseph was doing. Joseph was second in command over Egypt because of his interpreting dreams for the king. It's a long story, so we can talk all the details. But here's Joseph now in this position, right? And his brethren find out who he is. And all of a sudden, they are fear-stricken. They understand now that this is Joseph who they sold away into slavery and lied to their dad about him. We're in trouble. You know what they did? <laughs> Fell down and bowed before him. Joseph says, do not fear. 
Because you meant evil for me, but God has me here for a purpose that we might be able to preserve our family and save the lives of others. You see, God had a greater purpose. This wasn't about Joseph. This was about God and His plan. Much bigger idea than who Joseph, or they thought Joseph was. Joseph's powerful. Joseph gave glory to God. And you see, these examples that we look at, we too in our life, we're missing opportunities if we're not putting it in perspective and we make it about ourselves. We are missing it. It is about God in our lives. Shining in our lives. Showing in our lives. Redeeming us. And showing Himself mighty in the things that we overcome in life. Whatever obstacles, whatever problems. It is not about us. It is about revealing God in our lives that others might glorify God. We'll talk about that a little more as we go on. Look, I want you to know that it was Jesus, His purpose in His ministry when He walked here on this earth to bring glory to God. John 14 and verse 13 says, Whatever you ask in My name, He tells His disciples, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He didn't even say, so that the Son may be glorified. He said, so that the Father, through the Son, might be glorified. That's Jesus' purpose in His ministry, was to point people to the Father. To direct them to the Father. What an awesome example for us. If Jesus, the Son of God, can have that perspective to point people to His Father and not Himself. When He did point them to Himself, it was in the perspective of this greater picture to bring people to God. You know, all of nature glorifies God. All of nature. I talk about this sometimes in my singing instruction, but it's amazing to me, the older I get and the more I reflect upon this, that the trees do exactly what God has instructed them to do. The sun and the moon and the stars do exactly and have done exactly what God has decreed for them to do. The animal kingdom does exactly what God told them to do. Of all of creation, mankind is the one who says, I want to be my own God. And doesn't glorify God. In general. They don't bring focus to God. But the animal kingdoms do. The trees do. The sun and the moon does. Look at Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth His handiwork. I don't know about you, but in a good black night, to look up and see the stars above, to see the Milky Way even, an incredible proclamation of the glory of God. All of nature points to God and says, hey, you need to know, look at God. God did this. That's what all of nature does. But not us. 
We're too smart and too wise to do that. You see, we are create our own destiny. <laughs> you know, it's a sad statement. It's a sad statement. Giving God the glory. I, I'm telling you, if animals, if dogs, if the sun and the moon, the heavens, can declare the glory of God with their existence, far be it from me to try to fight that. Let's glorify God with our lives. You know, the only difference is God gave us free will. He gave us the ability to decide if we want to. He wants our heart. He wants us to willingly seek Him and to serve Him. Not just a bunch of robots. While they do what God declared for them to do, we have the opportunity to. We can willingly share with the world the work that God is doing in our lives without boasting of ourselves. We can point people to Christ. Let's look at this. We are to bring glory to God in all things. In everything. In our bodies. Paul told the Corinthians, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. You know, our bodies can be used for a lot of things and a lot of evil things. But what we're taught to do with our bodies is to glorify God, honor God with them. Use them in ways that will glorify God. Our fruits, things that we produce in our lives. Listen, Jesus said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now you could argue what that fruit is. It doesn't really matter to me because an apple tree produces peaches, right? No. An apple tree produces apples. A peach tree produces peaches. And you could be talking literally, we're Christians, we ought to be producing Christians. That seems to make a lot of sense to me. But you could argue that it's the fruits of the Spirit. Our lives, these little areas of our lives, in the way we treat one another, the way we respond, the way we interact with our public, the people around us, the, the grocery store clerk. It doesn't matter. Whoever it is, stranger, friend, the fruits of the Spirit, things like love and peace and joy, all of those type of, of things that make up a Christian's life. I will say this, Jesus said that the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. Bear fruit. <laughs> Let your lives show forth what God, who God is, what He has done in your life. And in whatever we do, Paul also told the Corinthians this, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I've wondered about this verse for a long time. Whatever you do, okay, I get that in the broader sense, but even in eating and drinking, we do it to God's glory. In kind of looking across or looking over material and things, I almost opted on not using this. And, but, but I read through it again and 
decided, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use it. Because <laughs> it just makes too much sense. Now, some of us could read this and say, that is just way over the top. That's just more than, yeah, that was what I was thinking at first. Until I read it again. And this is something by a writer you may be familiar with him, John Piper. But he wrote this, orange juice to John's to John's, <laughs> not John's, to God's glory. Orange juice to God's glory. And I just want to read it because I think it brings out some aspects of things sometimes we don't think about and we just generalize things. But I want you to listen to this. A little over the top, maybe. A little facetious, maybe. But listen, he writes this. I will affirm joyfully from the Word of God that the color yellow is a gift from God. The sweet taste is a gift from God. The nourishment and the way my body uses it is a gift of God. The sun and the rain that grew the oranges is a gift of God. The trucking and the grocery chain that brought it to me is a gift of God. And the list could go on and on. I will gladly rejoice joyfully. I will say that out loud. I will feel it. I will lift my heart and voice in prayer, thanking God. And I will do this often so that others can know where all this came from and how wise and strong and how good my God is. I will remind myself that I do not deserve this orange juice. What I deserve is to be in hell today. That's what I deserve. And so I will give thanks that my sins are forgiven and that this pleasure is, in fact, bought for me. This orange juice pleasure is a blood-bought gift for this child of God on the way to heaven. I will remind myself that this particular pleasure, this taste, this coolness on my tongue, this nourishment reveals something of God to my senses and my soul that could not be known any other way. That's why the world was created. Because all of it, like a prison, gives us some new sight of the glory of God. So then, I will share this orange juice in love with others at the table. I won't hoard it all. And finally, I will use the strength that it gives me to live for the glory of God. Again, now, wow, I mean, that's just dissecting every little minute detail and probably there's much more you could go into. But I think it exemplifies how our lives, we take so much for granted and there's so much we can give glory to God for. Even a cup of water, a glass of orange juice. Romans 15 teaches us the church is to glorify Him. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one mind and one mouth we can proclaim our God as the God of gods 
The one who offered each one of us our very salvation. We have that opportunity today when we're together with one voice, one mind, one thought to glorify God. He's deserving of it. Not me. Not you. God is. God is. And the church ought to glorify God. And why? Why? What's, what's the purpose? I'm going to point you back to the mission of Jesus, which I believe is the mission of the church. He handed it to the church to proclaim that He came in the flesh, that He is the Son of God, that He was, if you will, in a very physical sense, died, was buried, and was resurrected so that we can have eternal life. That's what our God has done for us. One of the missions of the church then is that we not only proclaim it, but that others would see it and glorify us, right? Other people ought to glorify us and lift us up, right? Above what we ought to be, right? No. No. That they might see our lives, our works, our love, our, uh, if you will, fruits in our lives and that they glorify God. Look at this passage. 2 Corinthians 9.13 Because of the proof given by this ministry, talking about Paul and his work and those that are with him, they, the outsiders, will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contributions to them and to all. Just one example, but he gives one here. Their liberality to others. You see, there were great needs in the church back then and to mankind. Great needs, but they were suffering some persecution here and there. And the brethren here liberally, very liberally, gave of their means to be able to help situations that needed the help. And what is Paul pointing this to? That they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contributions to them all. What was hoped here was that even in their giving that other people would look and glorify God. I, maybe thank them. I don't know. I don't think it's wrong to thank anybody. That's not the part that we're focusing on though. It's the fact that they, because of God, gave of themselves to other people that where those needs were, they may be met. And ultimately for the purpose of pointing people to God, to the glory of God. And so that's what Paul is doing, is giving the credit and the glory where it belongs. Our mission as a congregation, as a church worldwide. Our mission is to be able to let our light shine, right? Jesus said, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And it didn't stop right there. <laughs> Otherwise, it would sound like it's about us, right? We just want people to see our good works. Wow, there's so many lessons in that we won't go into. But I'm thinking of 
the ones giving alms and stuff, shouting it, making sure they notice, you know, that I'm giving. That wasn't what it was about, was it? That they may see your good works. It's just an acknowledgement. It's a realization. They see your works. And what do they do with it? He goes on, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, everything we do ought to be for the purpose of glorifying God. And that other people would see that and glorify God. Hebrews 13 and 21 he will equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He has a plan for your life, for our lives. He has a plan for it. Some of that we've talked about already at this point. But when it's all said and done, it's not about us. It's about him equipping us to do the work. You see, it's not our flag to wave. It's His. He's the power behind us. Let me, let me tell you something. When you think you're good, when you think you're a good person, do you think you're a good person? Let me tell you something. The only good thing in me is Jesus Christ who lives in me. Because without Him, it's utterly despicable. It's ugly. It is not pretty. The things I can think about sometimes. The things I can act on sometimes. The things I can say sometimes. Would make Christ so ashamed. You see, my life, the things I choose to say things I choose to do, to think on, to participate in. All of those things ought to be things that start with glorifying God. And how can I use my tongue to do that and not hurt people? Not even the car that cuts me off. And, you know, It's funny to me how sometimes we can seemingly control ourselves in a lot of situations, but get behind the will of God. I don't know about you, but this is me. Get behind the will of a car and somebody acts stupid and dumb. <laughs> and the things I want to say, and I might not say them, but I think them. <laughs> Glorifying God. Can we think about how that we can conduct ourselves in a way that gives glory to God and that points people to Christ? Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ. Period. Put a period right there, right? I can do all things through Christ. Oh, actually, I can back up and say, I can do all things, period. Well, look at me. That's not what he says. It says, through Christ, who gives us the ability and strength to do so. Christ is the one who gives us the strength. Christ is the one who lives in us. Are we using Him to God's glory? Or are we just claiming it and go on and do our own thing? Glory to God. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. God has called us to His kingdom. 
And God has called us to His glory. That's what the verse says. So why is that important? Back up. It says that we would walk worthy of God. Our steps would consciously be thinking about and honoring Him as we take those next steps, as we say those things that we say. Things worthy of God, because that's what we're called for. His glory, to glorify Him. Okay? Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Not for our good pleasure. It's for His good pleasure. And so what does it say? It's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This took me a long time to understand the reality of what this verse is really saying in these other verses that we've looked at. How that it is God who is working through us and in us to accomplish His will, not our will. We're simply a vessel. We are simply a vessel to be used for His glory. If I had a bottle of water up here, but I don't, but imagine it for a second. I could be an empty bottle or an empty cup sitting here and it literally is of no use to anyone if it's empty. Right? But you fill that with some water and it's still of no use to anyone if it doesn't move off that table. You see where I'm going. But if I take that cup and I offer it to a brother, it can quench his thirst. It can satisfy. It can bring a blessing. I'm not the one moving the cup. God is. He's filled it and He moves it. I'm the cup. I'm the cup. The vessel. That unless it's full of the water, there's no benefit. And unless I allow God to use me and give me up to somebody else. To pour myself out, if you will, into their lives, there's no blessing. You see, it is God who does it. And it is God who works in our life. He works in us to accomplish His will. Not Leland's will. Not your will. His will. And then He gets the glory, doesn't He? It accomplishes His mission on earth. And that is to rescue hearts that are dying of thirst for Him. We glorify God in another way. I want to quickly touch on it. In our response to trials, we read a lot of these works of Paul and Paul underwent a lot of persecutions, right? And, and he talks a little about that. He was hungry. There were times he was starving. There were times he was without funds. There was times he was shipwrecked. There were times he was stoned. <laughs> and it's not just Paul. It's just he was writing about it. But many of his uh, Christ apostles suffered because they followed after Christ. Of course Christ suffered, right? We recognize that one. 
Don't find it a surprise that you may suffer for it. But listen, when we're having trials, we need to remember what Paul said. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. See, this particular passage was writing about, Paul was writing or referencing people who had come in under false pretense and they're preaching Christ, but kind of downplaying or making light of, if you will, what Paul was doing. Paul said, don't worry about it. Christ is being preached. And in that I rejoice. Give God the glory for it. At least Christ's name is out there. That was his attitude. And sometimes I think we tend, I think I tend to get all worked up when people want, don't want to listen to me. <laughs> so? <laughs> Who am I? That's why it's very important a lot of times, while I give my opinion here, that's why a lot of times we need to leave our opinions out of it and take them to the Word. Let God speak to them. And anything that we say ought to be things that God would say to them in order to reach them. Christ is proclaimed, and that's the greatest point of all. I want to leave you with a few questions. We just uh, celebrated the life of a great-granddad of my kids. It was their mother's grandfather. He is 88 years old, strong up until 86, 87. It was amazing to me. He could outwalk me. He could outwork me. Not just today. I mean, pre-heart attack. This guy was amazing physically. I don't know if you ever had a chance to meet him. His name was Ray Price. Not the singer, but Lowell Ray Price. The reason I bring him up is to say this. He was a, a man of significant influence in my life. Um, he rescued this guy that was on his way to hell. Uh, and I don't mean he rescued me. God used him. You, you hear what I'm saying? He made himself available to be used of God, though. And he reached this guy that was arrogant, and selfish, self-centered, just on a bad path. I was running from God. And he saw it and just very gently just kept working with it. Let me, I just got to tell you a little about it. I lost a job in the early 80s. Anybody remember the 80s? Y'all remember the 80s? You see my gray hair. That was some bad times for me. I lost a good job. I struggled for probably eight years to try to get on top of life, you know, just make it a living while. We were still having children and the family was growing and I was still suffering financially trying to trying to recover from this, okay? And I made a move to Dallas early on and went to work at the machine shop where he worked. I had some machine shop experience, but it was in a plant. I just ran one machine, so I didn't know a lot of the other machines. But I went to work where he was, went to work. We actually moved up to Dallas from Houston and we had one child at the time. And we moved in with my wife's grandfather, this man, and his wife for about six months as we kind of got back on our feet. 
And so I rode into work with him, and it was over an hour drive to work, because he lived way out in the country. He'd drive into Dallas to go to work, and I'd ride with him. And this took weeks. Now, I rode with him the whole time I lived out there. For the most part, it didn't make sense for both of us to drive, and he was willing to transport me. But I became his captive audience. You see, I couldn't open the door on the highway. It's going to be dangerous. So I had to listen to this guy. And he just constantly was asking questions. Not, not really in a, in a negative way. He saw something in me that was worth asking questions and just trying to penetrate our and he began asking questions like, what do you think the Apostle Paul meant when he said blah, 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 you know, whatever it was, whatever passage. What do you think the Apostle Paul, who do you think he was talking about when he said, I knew a man 14 years ago that whether in the spirit or in the body, I don't know. Or, who do you think Paul was talking about? And he just asked these questions and I would sit there at first going, I don't know, I don't care, I'm really not interested, I'm trying to run. Part of me moving up to Dallas was to get up there. And I found myself running right to what I was thought I was running from. He had asked this question. It took a few weeks. I got a little more comfortable with it. And we began some Bible studies and things like that. And things began to develop. And I saw and understood things from the Scripture as he presented them. I'd never even heard before. And I was like, it was fascinating. And I was getting more interested in it, right? And before you know it, He's baptizing me at 21 years old to start my Christian walk. I still had a long way to go, but I started my walk with him, and I appreciated that man. Now, why did I bring him up? He just died a couple, a couple weeks ago. It's pretty fresh on mine. So. But an amazing man who loved people. At the end of his life, the last two or three years of his life, he began to work with a family that was outside the church. They just had a lot of needs, uh, like health problems and pretty severe health problems. And he began to work with them. He's a, a I hate to say a loner. He's not a loner, but he's independent. It's himself only. His wife had passed years ago. And it's just him. Listen, this is going to sound drastic, but he ultimately moved in with this family. He moved in with them. Myself included, a lot of his brethren became concerned that he was being taken advantage of. He likely was, maybe, perhaps a little bit. But he made the sacrifice and did that. I sat down with him after having already had a conversation about being careful what you're doing and, and not being, I'm just I'm concerned for him. Then I sat down and listened to him. He said, I've spent all my life thinking that I understood what love was. And for the first time in my life, he's 85 or 6 at this point. For the first time, I actually want to talk to him, he was probably 87, probably maybe a year ago. For the first time in my life, I have finally, I think, understood what God was doing when he loved us. He poured himself out for us. And that's all I'm trying to do is reach this family, do everything that I can for them. He was helping them financially. He was helping, not that he had a lot of money, 
but he was helping them in every physical way that he could to try to tend to their needs and teach them about Christ. And that he did. He just passed away. But the thoughts that go through my mind is, what was his purpose in life? Well, I for one am a recipient of his willingness to be used by God. And at the end of this life, I look at this now, there's a lot of stories in between. And there's a lot of years to talk about. But at the end of this life, he literally is pouring his life out. He's giving everything he has because none of that really mattered. He had a roof over his head. He had food. And he poured himself out for this family that I'm not even sure ever really got it. And took advantage of it. And that bothered me until I got to thinking about it. That's his life. First of all, he's a grown man. He was not ignorant of what was going on. He fully well did all of that on purpose. But beyond that, him pouring himself out. He said that's what Jesus did. And I looked at his life. And I looked at Jesus' life. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus poured his life out upon the cross for us, for you, for me. This isn't a sermon about lifting up right Christ. It's just simply an example to say our lives can be like Jesus if we want them to be. And we can glorify God with our lives. And that's what I learned in His life was to pour myself out wherever it's possible, however it's possible, for the cause of Christ. Because that's all that really matters when it's said and done. That degree's not going to matter. That career's not going to matter. That house is not going to matter. The car's not going to matter. What's going to matter is how did you glorify God with your life? I leave the lesson with you this morning. If you're subject to the gospel and you've not become a Christian, let me tell you something. Can I? It is such... It's so cliche. But it's a life-changing event. It was in my life. And growth is an understatement because I was so far gone. <laughs> There's so much to learn. I still have so far to go. So much to learn. And we all do. But take our examples from Christ. Follow His steps. Use this moment to dedicate or even rededicate your life to Christ. Your life is worth it. His life is worth it. <coughs> and everybody else's lives are worth it. Are worth us reaching them for the sake of Christ. Come while we stand and sing this song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479 647-2658. May God bless you.